Hi, I'm Brandon. And I'm Megan. And we're on a journey to improve our marriage, our family, our faith, our fitness, well, just about everything. Along the way, we might accidentally give a tiny bit of solid advice, so join us as we chat each week. Welcome Welcome to to the the Fools in Love Love Podcast. Hey guys, today we have the pleasure of talking to Kathleen Burris on the podcast. Kathleen has been practicing clinical social work for 10 years and has been in private practice, specializing with adolescents and women for six years. Along with her private practice, Kathleen runs the blog Self Care Bestie, where she is passionate about providing an affordable, time-saving alternative to therapy. Thanks for being here, Kathleen. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so before we get rolling, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in clinical social work? Sure. So I kind of became a therapist when I was 16, when all my friends started coming to me with all their boy problems and girl drama. And I was just always that person that everybody came to. And I loved it. I didn't mind at all. So I knew exactly what I was majoring in in college before I got there. I have an undergrad degree in psychology, and then I got my master's in social work. And I've worked in a variety of clinical settings, but so including hospice and in hospitals and things like that. But like you said, now I'm in private practice, and that's that's my jam. (laughs) Yeah, we're really excited to have you here, Kathleen, and we're really excited to be focusing on today looking at choosing happiness and learning to be content because I think we're living in a world where it's it's just not always rainbows and butterflies. You know, it can be mm-hmm. so hard to be thankful and happy, but we personally believe that for the most part, how you feel about yourself and your life, it's a choice. It's just a choice that you're able to make. And and I want to say that carefully because of course, there are exceptions to that. I mean, there are super hard things that we know people are bringing and dealing with like depression or illness. And those things are kind of outside of our control. But with that caveat in place, what's your belief about finding happiness and just choosing to be grateful and content? Yeah, I agree with you. I think by and large, it is a choice. And I think we get to decide and we have a lot more power than we think we do when it comes to how we show up to any given day in our life in any given situation or circumstance that's going on in our lives. And even when really difficult things happen, there are some people that have, you know, seem to have this capacity within themselves to really, you know, persevere and have this great positive attitude. And there's other people it's a lot more difficult for, but I agree that it's a choice. And I think that it really comes with practice. So if you are willing and committed and intentional about making the choice to be content despite your circumstances, then that's really how you kind of craft and create this life of gratitude that can really affect your happiness. Absolutely. Totally agree. What are some things that maybe prevent us from feeling content? Like if we're not quite ready to choose, what are those things that can get in the way of just this overall feeling that we have of being happy and thankful and content? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, first and foremost, I think comparison is a huge (laughs) gratitude snatcher. I think that looking, especially in the day and age that we live in with social media and how everything seems perfectly curated in people's lives, and I think people often forget that that's a highlight reel for people's lives. It's not their, most people aren't posting their mom and dad fails online for everybody to see. So I think that comparison really can get in the way. And I think just kind of not being intentional. So just it's what I like to do is set intentions at the beginning of every day. I think about how I want to focus, what I want to focus on and how I want to feel in a given day. And then I set those, you know, my actions accordingly. And I think that too often people, if we don't take that time at the outset of a day or a week, you're going to get swept away by your emotions in the moment. 
rather than being able to focus on what it is that you know is going to bring you gratitude, contentment, and things like that. Yeah, I know for me, uh, just when you talk about the comparison on social media, I'm completely guilty of that because you look at what people are doing. And even if you look at just your friends or you look at like other influencers out there and you see what they're doing in their business or in their life, or if they're on vacation or something like that, you always want to be like, well, why can't I do that? And you always want to compare yourself. And I think it's a slippery slope when you're comparing yourself to other people, because like you said, that's a highlight. They might have taken a hundred pictures to post the one perfect one, you know, especially in the land of Instagram. And then you're yeah. taking that and basing all of your opinions on on your life. So I know that's a real thing. And I know being happy is just such a challenge. But my question was, do you do you think being happy is a skill that we can actually learn and teach ourselves? I do. I honestly believe that every human being has the capacity to change and grow. That's like a core tenant of social work, and I firmly believe it as well. So I think that it's just a matter of making that commitment and deciding that it's something that you want to do. And then how committed are you to increasing your happiness or going after that goal? I think for a lot of people, you know, it's just not something at the top of their mind, or they've got so many other things going on and they don't feel well, but they're not really sure or they don't think there's anything they can do about it. But I think if they're willing to commit and put in the time, there's definitely things you can do. Tons of different interventions I share with my clients in private practice all the time. Just, you know, yeah, we can get into that whenever you guys want, but I'm, I'm excited to share some ideas with you. Yeah, let's, let's hear them because our next question was going to be, what are some of those ways that we can start to focus on, you know, the good things or setting up those intentions every day? Yeah, I think, you know, taking some time at the outset of the day is definitely one thing that I recommend doing a gratitude list, you know, in the morning or at night before bed, for sure, is helpful. And trying to be thankful for something like different, like if even on a bad day, there's always something to be grateful for. So even if you're having a really bad day, because like oftentimes people will say, well, I just didn't feel good. So I didn't want to do my gratitude list or I didn't do it. I'm like, well, if you didn't feel good, that's why you should be doing it. That's why you need to do it. So I think it's pushing past the feelings of pushing past the emotions and just committing to a regular gratitude practice. And it can look any different way that you want it to. There's, you know, you could do gratitude journaling. You can do, um, I, honestly, I tell people, you can go through your text messages in your cell phone and just like start texting people that you're thankful for them. There's just no end to what you can do to bring gratitude into a regular part of your life. Let's see. I mean, there's just a million things you can do. You can do a random act of kindness for someone. And my favorite thing to recommend to people, honestly, is to volunteer and to give your time or money or both to a cause that you're passionate about because that is a huge happiness booster, gratitude booster, especially if you find something that you are super, super passionate about or you see, you can just really see people that don't have what you have in a certain area and then you can feel, you know, wow, I'm thankful for, I do have food to eat tonight. You know what I mean? I think those little things, like, but there's the big things, food and shelter, the things that we, all of us listening to this probably have, those are the things we really so often take for granted and, or, you know, visiting someone in the hospital who is ill or an, someone in an elderly, you know, care facility. There's so many different people that have, you know, different problems than we do. And so to be able to pour into them, I think is just such a great way to practice and live out gratitude. Definitely. And I love that you said, even on bad days, there's always something to be grateful for. Cause I don't know about you, but I feel like that's something that I just like don't remember a lot of the times, you know, it's like, oh, my day was so hard, blah, 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 me, me, me. And 
it can be hard to remember like, yes, but I have two healthy, beautiful children. I have an amazing husband who loves me. Like those things kind of fall to the wayside when you're like, oh, my day was so stressful. And I, I know. love I that you're saying just remember it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know, Kathleen, that you do a lot in the self-care area. I know we said you have the self-care bestie. And I wonder if you find any correlation between self-care and then just becoming a happier and healthier person. Do you find a connection between the two? Absolutely. That's honestly why I started blogging about self-care is because I needed to hear it, first of all, but also because it's really like this, what exercise and you know eating healthy do to prevent physical illness is exactly self-care. That's what self-care does to prevent mental illness. And it's so, I mean, obviously not all mental illness can be prevented with self-care, but it, you drastically reduce how anxious you're going to feel, how depressed you're going to feel if you're making time for a regular self-care practice. Yes. A lot of times I feel like as a culture, we tend to think of self-care as running out to get our nails done or going on this big, you know, tropical vacation to get away from everything and all our problems. But that's not all self-care is, right? Right. Absolutely. (laughs) So what are some what are some of the best ways we can take care of ourselves even when we're living busy lives or don't have the money for massages and all inclusive resorts? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, honestly, I tell people that self-care is anything that you like to do that's good for you. And one thing, one exercise that I kind of share with most of my clients, to be to be honest, is I tell them to take like a deck of index cards and write down one thing that they like to do that's good for them on every single card, like so that you're kind of just not censoring yourself. You can, it could be like your favorite movie, you know, it could be going out for ice cream, walking the dog taking a nap, taking a hot shower. It could be whatever you like to do that's good for you. And then when you have unstructured downtime, that's what is a trigger for a lot of people when they feel like bored or they don't, they have, you know, a chunk of time that they really don't know what to do with. Shuffle up the deck and pull one out and then do one, one of those things. And the reason why I recommend that is because they are the author of that deck of cards. So it would be easy for me to say, oh, you know, Play, play the guitar when you're feeling stressed, but if you don't play the guitar, obviously that's not going to help you. So <laughs> I love for people to just take ownership of what they want, what they really, what really like lights them up and makes them feel passionate and alive and just kind of giving themselves the, the reminder with those tangible deck of cards that they can pick one out and just do something good for them at any time they have time. Yeah, I know for us personally, when we talk about self-care, and and again, you talk about the misconception with self-care, and I find that for even me and Megan individually, you think about self-care time, and it's almost like in a selfish way. Like you feel like, well, if I'm taking time for me, then I'm not giving the time to the other people in my life, or I'm not giving the time to my kids, or I'm not giving the time to my work. And I feel like that's that's a hard thing to swallow sometimes where it's like, you have to be able to look at yourself and take care of yourself in order to care for all those other things I just mentioned. Now, do you find a lot of people struggle with that as well? Oh my goodness, yes. That is one of the biggest things I hear from people and you are so spot on with everything that you just said. So many people either reach out to me online or in my office in my practice saying that they don't have time for self-care. And in my, you know, my first response is like, you don't have time to not do self-care because I know from personal and professional experience, the way I show up to my life and to my relationships is extremely different when I'm practicing self-care regularly and making that time for myself versus when I'm not. And it's not pretty (laughs) on the days when I don't. Yeah, I 100% agree. I I used to struggle like super 
super bad with this because, you know, I wouldn't work out because I feel like, well, I'm a working mom. So obviously if I go and spend a half an hour to an hour working out after I'm done with work, then I'm never going to see my kids and what kind of a mother would I be? And then one day I just basically woke up and was like, oh, well, you know, I'm not showing up really that well anyway when I'm irritated and I don't have time to disconnect from work and you know, now I, now I've realized that it's actually better for everyone when I do have that time. It's so true. And I think too, like we model for our kids that we're taking care of ourselves. And I don't know about you guys, but that was not something that I saw modeled growing up. My parents are awesome people, but they were not, you know, aside from like my dad golfing once in a while, my mom did not, you know, do self-care. She was a working mom too. She just ran from one thing to the next and seemed always to be stressed out. And understandably, but it is, it's just something that I think it's a gift that we can give our children when we, when we show them, I'm going to the gym right now because I am taking care of my body and my mind. What do you like to do to take care of your body and mind? Right, right. Yeah. And I know, like Megan was saying, um, both her and I are like full-time working people. So, so we are leaving our kids on a daily basis and going to the office. Now I know a lot of our listeners are actually like a stay at home mom or like a stay at home parent. And it seems a lot harder for them to be able to kind of institute the strategies that we're talking about because they can't really ever disconnect. Like when we leave work, sure, we'll get our random calls at night. But as a parent, when you're a stay-at-home mom, you never really get to disconnect. And it almost seems harder to kind of disconnect and take that self-care time. It's true. And that's actually, so that's the case for me on most days of the week. I'm, just, I'm a stay-at-home mom but I obviously I work a couple days of the week as well, but I'm a work at home mom, I guess too. And what I have to do honestly is take some time in the morning before anybody wakes up and before anyone can ask me any questions or need anything from me, I have a cup of coffee and I have some quiet time and I just do whatever I want to do, whether it's, you know, a devotional or some work or whatever. I just, I have to carve out that time for me first thing in the morning. And then I'm like a much more cheerful mom the rest of the day. Right, right. Yeah. And I know we touched, uh, you talked about morning routine just now, and I know we had touched on gratitude, but I have to bring it up again because it seems like it's just such a hot topic right now. I mean, when we're, and when we, we really took this on about probably about six months to seven months ago, where we started to really institute a very strong morning routine. And we decided to make gratitude a big part of that. So like for me personally, I wake up every morning and the first thing I do is go through a list of things that I'm grateful for that day. Because I think so often you get out into the world and you know, you're behind a slow person in traffic and all of a sudden all of it seems to go out the window. And I know a lot of people in that case will journal. Uh, We don't do that so often and we haven't really instituted that practice, but I I personally thank God first thing each day for just all the wonderful things in my life. And I think even for people in a non-religious context, I know that many people can still start their day with thankfulness. So do you feel like gratitude is the best way to start your day or is there other things we could implement? Because I think starting off on the right foot is the best thing to have the best day moving forward. Yeah, I love that. I'm such a morning person, but I think even if you're not just if you are intentional about starting your day on that note, on a joyful, grateful note, you you are going to shift for the rest of the day. You know, at least, and in, in the very least, too, you started out that way. We don't know what's going to happen throughout the rest of the day, but we do, we can, those first few moments of the day, we, that's our time, if we choose to make it our time, to be grateful so that even at the end of the day, you can say, you know what, 
today was a really bad day, but I remember those, those moments this morning. I, I was grateful for these things, and I still am. Or, and I'm additionally grateful for these other things. And I think, you know, definitely starting in the morning, but maybe even bookending it at the end of the evening as well before you go to bed, just like how lucky we are to be alive, how lucky we are to have, you know, everything that we have, that we have all that we need and more, and just really, like, really appreciating it in, in a real way instead of just kind of being like, oh, yeah, I'm grateful for this. You know, I think that's really great. I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about anxiety. So I definitely struggled with this more in my younger years, but even today I still have those days where I'm just overwhelmed by my to-do list or by life circumstances, and it starts to take away my joy. And it also, unfortunately, can affect my ability or even my desire to be the wife and the mom that I want to be. And my guess is that whether we call it anxiety or not, most of us struggle with being overwhelmed or worried at some point. And are there any strategies for that to relieve some of that anxiety or how can we remind ourselves of what's, you know, truly important, like you were saying, on those days when maybe we don't wake up on the right foot or things just aren't going that way and we just let that anxiety and those feelings creep in? That's such a great question. I agree with you. I mean, I think every single human being on the planet has, whether they call it anxiety or not, like you said, struggles with worry or overwhelm or stress. Um, or we obviously we know someone who does. So I think that's a really good question. I'm actually doing um, a live class on May 20th, all about anxiety. It's like 60 minutes long. I'm going to be answering people's questions live because I know that this is one area where people really, really struggle. So, and I love that you linked anxiety into the into talking about gratitude as well because I do think, you know, in many ways gratitude can be kind of an alleviator of anxiety. So really focusing on being intentional about gratitude, that's one huge thing you can do. Another thing is just, you know, that self-care, that regular self-care practice that, because sometimes you, like, I was just talking to a client about this last week. She's like, I'm doing everything, you know, I'm supposed to be doing, and I still feel anxious. And I was like, you know what? It's okay to, to feel anxious. Like, I think that we, sometimes we have to just sit with that. It feels, it doesn't feel good, but if you're doing everything, if you're taking care of yourself, if you're prioritizing what's important, you know, picking a few things, not focusing on a list of 20 things, but being realistic about what you can actually get done in a day. If you're, you know, kind of breaking things into pieces and if you're willing to ask for help, I think that's a huge thing for people with anxiety, whether it's help for your anxiety or help taking things off your to-do list, even to make time for self-care. I mean, if you, I tell people, if you have to get a babysitter to just so you can like go to the gym or get a nap in, that's okay. Because, again, you're going to be showing up in a much better way and be less anxious, definitely. But I I definitely just think, you know, being willing to acknowledge what you're feeling, acknowledge the degree to which you're feeling it, So, and then being willing to ask for help if you need it. If you need it by talking to a therapist or, you know, even getting on some psychotropic medication. I don't prescribe myself, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of the path of least resistance when it comes to that stuff. But I definitely think there are certain situations and certain times in life when even to access coping skills to reduce anxiety, you might need, you know, to take some medicine for a time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I totally love what you were saying there. And I, I can't help, like we have two, we have two small kids and I can't help, but like think about the world and the context of them a lot of the times, because I feel like as adults, we are always so afraid to like ask people for help even though we tell our kids that like you should ask for help if there's a problem ask for help but as adults somehow it makes us almost feel weak like like if we're asking for help then it's something we can't handle on our own and i feel like it's just 
it's just such a bad cycle to get into because if you're never willing to ask for help, then you're just drowning. And if you're drowning in your circumstance, how are you ever going to climb out of that? That's exactly right. And it's actually funny that you use that analogy of drowning because I remember in grad school, my one of my advisors said to me, I worked at a bereavement center. So everyone has like lost loved ones. It was a very difficult first assignment out of grad school. And she was like, you know, you can't help other people if you're drowning too. And I was like, you're right. So she's like, you've got to take care of yourself. you got to have boundaries and take care of yourself. And so part of boundaries is, you know, what can I do? What is, what's realistic for me to be able to do? And what do I need help with? And I, again, I think we can model that for our kids that, yep, even adults need to ask for help sometimes because when I feel stressed or overwhelmed, I mean, when I see, I have young kids as well. When I see them getting frustrated or freaking out about, you know, a Lego that doesn't fit together, I'm like, just ask for help. And, you know, we say it, like you said, so easily to our children, but we really do need to kind of look in the mirror when we're saying some of these things. <laughs> right, right. I also think when you were talking about just people taking on new things or trying to change change how they've always done things, it can it can bring a lot of anxiety. And we always talk to our listeners about the fact that when you're changing habits and they happen to be things that you've been doing for years and years and years, you you if you're taking that all on at once, it might actually cause anxiety. But unfortunately, the best way to get through that is you have to lean into that discomfort. And when you're willing to lean into that discomfort and that anxiety, you're going to grow into a place where you want to be. But if you're always pushing that aside, you're never actually going to get to that point. That's exactly right. It's so counterintuitive. And I think people, you know, that's like the worst thing they want to hear is like, what? You're telling me to like feel this horrible feeling? But I think that's where, you know, mindfulness can be such a huge, amazing tool for anxiety as well. It's just being willing to sit in the present moment as it presents itself, knowing that you don't, there's nothing that you have to do or change. You can just sit with that. And like you said, adjusting to that discomfort, noticing it, and then you'll be way more equipped to deal with it. Very, very true. I know that earlier you had said, like, take some things off your to-do list if you're feeling anxious, which is really funny because I'm actually writing a blog post for this upcoming week, next week, that I'm going to be talking a little bit about how I've, like, restructured my to-do list because it used to be a list of, you know, 4,000 things that I would never, ever hope, like, be able to, in my wildest dreams, accomplish even in a month. And now I'm like, okay, two or three things for the day, cool, like, I can... And it makes it easier rather than harder to accomplish, even though I don't have them all listed out. So love that you said, take some things off that to-do list and focus on what you can do. I'm a big fan of that. (laughs) (laughs) And I know we touched earlier on the fact that sometimes, you know, circumstances in life make it difficult to be content. Or like we were talking about, we see something on social media and we don't feel content because they have and we don't. When hard things happen or when comparison starts to creep in, how can we work to remain happy and thankful? I think, honestly, just taking a real look around your own life. You know, again, not not looking at what other people are doing, but just sometimes I'll tell people, like, go walk around your house and just make a list of the things that you see that you're grateful for. Or just do it, you can just do it inside your head. But, like, looking at family photos of a fun vacation that you had and just being like, wow, we got to take our kids to Disney World. That's not something that everybody gets to do. That was amazing really just looking and like taking stock and inventory of your own life rather than looking outward, I think is a huge step in that, in the right direction. Yeah. And I think so often people just get stuck, like you said, in the circumstance. So like when everything seems to be coming down on top of you on those really bad days or really bad weeks or really bad months that unfortunately I'm sure we've all had, I know we have personally, it just seems like you're never going to get out of that. 
and you're never going to break out of that cycle. And I think that's that's hard because you need to look beyond that. But then also, as I say that, like me, uh, unfortunately, I'll look at the current circumstance and I'll just I'll be like, why can't I be so far ahead of myself? So like, how do you help people see beyond their current circumstance to be able to grab for for more and just to be able to work their way out of the situation? That's a great question. I think a big part of that is just being able to really hold hold the situation with loose hands and hold your hold this control, right? That we really think we have, but we don't with loose hands. And so showing up or a loose grip, um, showing up to each situation and really being willing to let go of the outcome and really focusing on, okay, one day at a time. Yes, we want to look at the big picture. Yes, we want to have, you know, goals and, and accomplish big things, but just being willing to say, what do I need to do today to be my best self? And then knowing and being confident that put enough days together in a row of doing that and showing up that way is going to produce like the result that you're really hoping for. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to start to embrace the one day at a time thing. So I'm still learning. (laughs) I'm no stranger to that. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And I know we talked a little bit about self-care bestie and your blog and that program, but can you just tell us a little bit more about what it actually is? Sure. Yeah, so I have a monthly subscription model business for women who need to need help implementing a regular self-care practice. And so I have a workbook that comes out on the first of every month, and it's a digital workbook. So it's a different topic every month, and we have a self-care Facebook community that goes with the subscription that everyone in there votes um, the month before what they want the next month's topic to be. And then that's what I produce. I make a workbook. That's basically the same interventions that I would use with my clients in my office in the same, you know, circumstance or with the same topic. So, and then I go live in our Facebook group twice a month just to answer any questions. You know, sometimes, you know, the workbook is general, but then if you have specific questions, then I could kind of answer them that way. And it just is a nice, I think, easy to chew, easy to swallow, like bite-sized bit of self-care that you know is coming from a person who has clinical experience. It's not just like kind of, I feel like like self-care is such a popular topic, but not many people talking about it, you know, have a clinical background. So I don't think that's wrong. I just think it's something unique that I bring to the table. And I love, I love the connections that we're making in our group and just being able to make self-care an easier thing for so many women. That is so cool. I seriously love that. It's amazing what you're doing. And I'm also super thankful that you're here today. Thank you. I was so lucky and excited to be here with you guys. I appreciate you asking me on the show. Yeah. And just before we go, I have to ask, if somebody wants to know more about you or the program, where are they headed? They can find me at selfcarebestie.com or on Instagram at self underscore care underscore bestie. Kathleen, thank you so much for being with us today. And for sure, if you're out there listening, go check out selfcarebestie.com. There's a bunch of free resources on there, as well as just way more information about Kathleen and the great work she's doing. So go check it out. And thank you so much again, Kathleen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for tuning in another show of Fools in Love podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast or follow us over on Facebook at Fools in Love Podcast or hit us up on Instagram. Megan's at This Average Mom and I'm at Brandon Giggling. We'd love to hear from you over there. Talk soon.